Hello, I'm Drew. And I'm Matthew. And welcome to another episode of Made in Common, where we explore other paths in life through the sharing of others' stories, decisions, and careers. Our guest was Dr. Daniel Wong, who has been a dear friend of mine for almost 20 years. He currently works at one of the local hospitals in Greater Vancouver as a hospitalist. Before that, he worked as a family physician, or more commonly known as a general practitioner, a GP. We discuss common challenges in the field, such as why it's so hard to get a family physician, behind the scenes, logistical challenges, and why there still remains a shortage of doctors in Vancouver, both in the office and at the hospital. I feel there should be more open discussion of these topics between doctors and non-doctors, as they are the ones who get to see all the inner workings, both literally and figuratively. It may help to hear them out and hear why the healthcare system is constantly strained. Sometimes this may include differing opinions as a matter of different perspectives. We also dive into topics such as managing anxiety, time management, and having the energy to enjoy life. All very relevant and relatable topics in the modern era. There is also some bonus discussion at the end of the episode for anyone who is interested in video games. Lastly, we failed as hosts to include one of Dan's most interesting stories of being a city boy finding himself stranded in the Arctic and coming close to freezing to death. This will come shortly in a future episode, and thus, we'll name this part one of the interview. A friendly reminder that we don't always align in our views, but we are all made in common. So please respect our guests and respect each other. If you'd like to support us, for now, you can subscribe and leave a rating on whichever platform you're listening to. For written feedback to us or questions for our guests, the best bet is to leave a comment on our YouTube channel. And now, let's enjoy the episode. Check done. Anything else, Dan? You guys do shoutouts? You want me to shout out? No, can I do a shoutout? Of course. Uh, shout out to Gim. Let me just do a shout out to Gim here. He's uh, really looking forward to this episode. Uh, if he hears this, a shout out to you, Gim. Uh, as if you haven't heard anything I haven't said already. Here goes. I'm actually I'm looking forward to Gim hearing this too. I'll try to be more or be less monotone and more emotive. How about because I know you personally, I know you always loved your sleep. <laughs> Yeah. But like, when did you start noticing the punishment? Would you say? Was that recent? Yeah, I would say probably the last five or so years. I'm a big opponent of having good sleep hygiene. I think we're, we'll get in a little bit into the whole productivity realm. Yeah, we can go there. I don't know about you guys, but you feel like you... I feel the most productive in the mornings. Like, if I wake up before everyone else, I feel like... I have an upper edge, if that makes sense. I have more time to do stuff. And I just noticed that I'm sharper in the mornings too. Probably wasn't like that before. My, my sleep was all messed up back in university. Kind of the opposite. So 
I don't know. I don't know when that transition happened. I think just after I graduated and I got a real job and had to like be at a certain place at a certain time. And um, yeah, just not getting enough sleep would make me irritable and not able to concentrate, shit like that. That's interesting because I, I was definitely not a morning person, but now I call it like the creative energy. I can only be creative in the morning. Before the sensation you described for being able to get ahead, it was always late at night. So I was night owl, right? And I think you were too. Yeah. And, and everyone here might have been. But now I cannot work like past one even. Maybe even midnight. Like it's hard for me to work. But it's I just... think it's like you're ice for me. I could stay up and pull an all-nighter, but like the quality of what I'm doing, it deeply drops. It depends on what you're doing. I remember I used yeah. to stay up and ram for exams and stuff. I'm just wondering, was that even the right strategy? What if I just had done it the other way and was more productive during the mornings? I don't know what the results would have been, but when you're studying, you feel like you got to do your time, right? You got to put in, yeah. study X number of hours, make yourself feel better, right? But... It wouldn't have to matter like how much sleep you're getting. I'm assuming if you're a morning person, you're probably sleeping, let's say, probably thinking about sleeping around like 10, 10 30 p.m. Yeah. So, right. you know, I, I usually get up around 6, 6 15 ish. Um, so I, I think on average, I get about seven, seven and a half hours. I feel like I can function on that many hours. But I always wonder like, if I gave myself an extra hour, I think I can feel it the next day. But then it's, you come home and it's a long drive for me to, from work too, right? Like I come home at six, make dinner, whatever, walk the dog. And you basically only get a couple hours of free time. I always feel like it's not enough time. And you feel like you've given away your whole day to work or whatever. And then you want to do something for yourself. And that makes you stay up later. You got to balance that with going to sleep again so that you can be fresh for the next day and it's like this cycle where you're trying to like do something for yourself but also preserve your yourself so that you could go back to work the next day which is kind of like i don't know it's, it's kind of tricky that's something that i struggle with let's talk about anxiety a little bit and productivity because you were mentioning about like all the times you need to worry about sleeping when to wake mm -hmm. up when you're best at x time when you're best at doing x duty or y duty yeah how do you play into that? How do you make sure that doesn't become the all-consuming thought where I'm already planning about two days from now when I'm on today? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a big problem. Over, I think over the years, I've realized the root of my anxiety, a part of it, is just the nature of my job. You don't really know what you're walking into, and yeah. it's that element of unpredictability is what causes my anxiety well i guess for, i guess for context for everybody do you yeah. do you mind like disclosing what you do in your profession yes. <laughs> i'm referring to my job as a hospitalist which no one knows what that is but it's basically doctor works in the hospital <laughs> like doing acute medicine if you came into the hospital um, you're seen by the emergency room doctor and you're deemed too sick to go home. You need to be in the hospital for monitoring for more tests for treatment that you can only get out of hospital. Then you become 
admitted as an inpatient and you, you get moved to a ward and I am one of those ward doctors. So you know, compared that. to outpatient like clinic medicine, the patients are often more unstable and more sick and you have to make decisions faster and under pressure a lot more. Are you able so, to give like a quick example maybe of just to paint a picture of what you're walking into maybe one day because that sure. it's almost like a surprise attack, right? That you're describing. It's a surprise attack, yeah. So if you think of your internal organs like your heart, your lungs, your kidneys, your liver, any one of these can fail. Congestive heart failure, for example, your heart stops circulating blood properly. You get a buildup in your lungs and you're, you get swollen. So you have to treat that. That's a bad example. I, I think, so a, a big part of the, the job is to diagnose things that are not diagnosed. So like someone could come in with shortness of breath mm. and you got to figure out why they're short of breath. Is it, is it a lung problem? Is it a heart problem? Is it any other problem? You have all these machines, you have imaging, you have blood work, you have consultants. So basically what order are you doing what things in to come up with a reasonable plan to for this patient um a little bit like an optimization game almost that you're already playing yeah. on the spot right you got to build it on the spot almost yeah yeah or sometimes you have things that just don't fit any picture and you have to try to find a diagnosis that connects everything and that's yeah it's it's challenging but it's uh, it can be very rewarding at the same time to paint like a slightly clearer picture, yes. Let's say I want to understand where I would see you. So let's say I'm coming, I'm coming in, yeah. and I don't know what's the normal portal. Emerge. I'm coming through. Emerge. Okay, you're gonna go through emerge, and you're going to talk to the triage nurse, explain yep. what's going on. They're gonna type into a computer, and then they are going to triage you. There's like a, a triage system. Uh, and that basically, based on what your symptoms are, determines how fast the emergency room doctor will see you. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I don't really want to go there, but you, we can talk about how... Well, just do high level, yeah. yeah high level, okay. okay. So answer your questions. Okay, so you're seen by the emergency room doctor. They'll do the initial sort of the broad kind of test to see approximately what is wrong with you. Can we fix you and send you home? or are you obviously too sick to go home? Then we get consulted. And depending on the hospital, I work at a community hospital. So hospitalists do most of the admissions as opposed to a tertiary center where they have like specialty wards, like they have respirology ward or cardiology ward, neurology. But in most smaller hospitals, it's a general kind of hospitalist that does the, the intake and the management with with help from consultants. Okay. So once you're admitted or once the emergency room doctor feels that you're too sick to go home, then the hospitalist comes and, and sees you and does the, the admission. So from that point onwards, you are under the hospitalist care until discharge. Has the eMERGE dog already given a diagnosis or are they just basically, I don't know what's going on, you figure it out. And then they just give you all the notes and you got these scrambled <laughs> eggs that you need to... Yeah, no, sometimes you can get both. Sometimes the diagnosis is very obvious, but sometimes, for example, you could come in with a fever, low blood pressure, 
simply the, the flavor is that you've got an infection somewhere, right? Most of the time. So at that time when they're consulting you, they don't know where the infection's from. So you often get put on a, a broad antibiotic. The initial workup is, is started and it's up to the hospitalist team to, to figure out the rest of what's going on. There's so many different questions we can go into here. Do you have anything first, Matthew, or? <laughs> Healthcare is your specialty, too. <laughs> no, just playing the part of the viewer. Even for me, a lot of this stuff, I don't, like, it's a black box for me. Oh, at this moment now, you're admitted, right? Mm -hmm. It's almost, you would be considered acute, an acute patient, right, at this point? Yeah, yeah. Acute, undifferentiated. To be fair, there are a lot of patients who come in for for frailty. Like someone, like very commonly you can see, you'll see an older patient, 80s, 90s, or 70s. They'll have a fall at home and they're basically too weak to walk. So those ones are less medical, right? You do, There's a bit of a workup you could do, but most of the time these patients are just old and they need supports. So they'll fall, you'll get... They'll, they'll work with physiotherapy for a few days, get better, go home, and then have another fall, and then they come back to your hospital. We get these patients as well. So it's a fairly common thing that we see there with an aging population. What is the moment for complex cases where you can't even figure it out? You need to call in the cavalry, the high-end specialist somewhere that really only knows these specific diseases that they need to, you need to consult yeah. them. When does that happen and how often does that happen? It happens not infrequently. At our hospital, we do have a few internal medicine doctors that are we sometimes will contact first, and they can sometimes give some suggestions about what, what tests to order and stuff. But our hospital is partnered with a bigger hospital nearby, and a lot of their specialists are available by phone. I remember when I was going through med school, it was still like mostly a pager system and you'd page them and you'd wait and wait, nothing would happen. And they page back and it's okay, why did I page you again? And that's the whole thing. But now with the, the younger sort of generation, we're all like texting now, which I think has helped a lot. Divulging here a bit, but yeah. So we have access to specials and it's very easy access now with cell phones. It's a quick text message and you have a collegial relationship with your colleagues. It doesn't have to be a whole ordeal over the phone. That's kind of how I felt when I was going through med school and residency. Communication has always been one of my pet peeves in healthcare. Yeah. So I'm glad you guys have a system that is uh, low friction and yet reliable, right? That's yeah, kind of yeah. how I describe it. Is it yeah. a structured system? I'm just curious, or is it just your medical is relationships? What? Is it actually a structured system for this communication? Well, no, I think they, they tried to make Microsoft Teams as like the official. Oh boy. Yeah, but people aren't really doing that. People just end up texting anyways, because I don't know, get with the times. It's, it's, is it a work phone or is it a. It is a... not a work phone. It was a personal <laughs> cell phone. Yeah. So I guess this is where I was trying to get to. Is it like because Jim from a hospital and you're good buddies with him, so I'm like, I'm going to text Jim and he's going <laughs> to give me a diagnosis? <laughs> Is it no, kind of like no, 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 because uh -huh. it's, for ease of ease and continuity of care, we have this, we have to consult certain people because they work within our hospital network. So I can't just consult Jim from, from back home. It's just... <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. So you have the list to work, list of contacts to work with. It's just, you've opted out for a more efficient 
communication mechanism. Yeah, some of the more old school doctors do prefer to be paged and then they'll page you back and it's not terribly efficient, but that's the way they, they like to do it. And that's just what happens. But I would say the, the vast majority of people just text now and it's, it's so much faster. Text to start off and they'll call to ask you more details and pretty smooth and painless process these days. Okay. So then you, I guess, let's call it like the diagnosis survey. Yeah. They give their, I guess, they give their educated guess on it. You order the test. How yeah. fast do these tests come in? It, it sounds like everything's in real time. So I'm just like, I imagine some tests take, I don't know, a few hours, maybe even days. Oh, yeah. yeah. It depends on yeah. the urgency with which you order it. And um, I don't know if we get into this later, but this is, you know, a big difference, uh, you know, compared to outpatient medicine where you're ordering blood work for a week later and then yeah the patient forgets to do it or doesn't want to do it and then you never you don't know what the hell happens but here it's a bit of a dopamine hit because you can order tests and you get it back right away so you can prove and disprove your theories kind of in real time and part of the reason that i enjoy doing what i do now more than what i did before was to get that satisfaction on on relatively quick terms so you alluded to this, but your journey, you weren't always a hospitalist. So what were you doing before? Maybe just let's go backwards in time. What were you doing right before hospitalist? Okay. So after I graduated from my family medicine residency program, so I went to Halifax for my residency and I came back to Vancouver and naturally I was looking for jobs as a family doctor and I've worked in a bunch of different settings as a walk-in doctor, which I'm sure you guys are familiar with what those are like. And I've also done some classic family medicine. How do I even describe it? It's walk-in, but slower. Okay. So you have, you're seeing less patients, their patients, and you're managing more chronic problems as opposed to, um, things that you would go to a walk-in clinic for. Although I guess even these days, you would see a walk-in doctor for chronic problems because of the state of our healthcare system. Yeah, um, into that later. <laughs> oh man. Okay. So, anyways, so I was doing that. I guess I just wasn't really feeling it. And we can get into that if it's not too high level. But I guess I worked in a, a bunch of different clinics, just hoping to find one that had the X factor. I guess I was looking for, I kept going from clinic to clinic thinking that maybe if I found the right clinic, I would enjoy the job more. Yeah, makes sense. That makes sense. Okay. And then I guess I was just feeling very burnt out and very dissatisfied with my job. So I looked to do elaborate? other things. Can you Sorry. elaborate like why it was dissatisfying? It's a very complicated answer, but the TLDR is, uh, yeah, I wasn't satisfied with what I was doing because, first of all, family medicine is a very important job, okay? It's, it's not very glorious. It's not sexy, but it's an important job, right? Managing chronic conditions to prevent acute things from happening is very important. I don't think people really realize that patients don't really realize that they don't really see what happens on a daily basis for example if their diabetes is not well controlled until shit really hits the fan yeah <laughs> then you go to the emergency room and it's another doctor that saves your life yeah in a way it's it's pretty thankless you got to be you really need to have some 
amazing insight into health to appreciate what a family doctor does for you. Okay. I can talk about that. There's the, the way that family doctors are paid is it, it's set up for you're pushing people through your clinic so that you can, you can get paid, right? Because it's, yeah. it's you're getting paid per person. Like it's what we, what we call fee for service. So you're incentivized to get through as many patients as you can in your day so that you can make more money. Obviously it's not that family doctors are greedy and they want to make obscene amounts of money because it's not it really like a lot of times you have to maintain a certain throughput of patients just to pay for all the overhead costs of running your clinic like renting the space the equipment your staff right yeah so that in a way is that's already that's how it's set up what you take home is directly proportional to how much how many patients you're seeing you have to meet a certain volume and that that creates uh, an environment where you could be seen as rushing patients through but it's much more complicated than that because when you see your family doctor um or i guess from my perspective when i'm booking in a patient you allocate a certain amount of time right say 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and everything's fine at the beginning of the day because you're on time. Yeah. But it never works out like that because... Like it snowballs. It snowballs. Like all it takes is one person um, to bring up an extra issue at the end of their visit for you to add on many more minutes. And when you're only working with 10 minutes, if you go five minutes over... That's 50% of the next person's time. Yeah. So it snowballs, like you said, you got a waiting room, you got to manage the waiting room because these people, that's why as a patient, sometimes you're waiting like two hours when your appointment's at 10 a.m. It's noon and you still haven't seen the doctors because everyone before you has brought up more problems or I don't know, a million things. They've slotted in an emergency patient or something and you get a phone call from the pharmacist, like... Ask, you know, like your, your day can just go wrong in so many ways. And that, that, that pressure is there. And then you feel like you're owing the next patient more time because you've made them wait longer. Yeah, right? like you've drawn this perfect plan and it's already gone to shit like a quarter way in is like how you're describing it. Yeah, and yeah. You, can't, you can't gain time back by taking time away from these patients who have waited like an hour and a half to see you. Yeah. And... This just creates a very stressful environment. And on that same note, if I were to see you and you've waited, I don't know, two hours to see me and you want something that's not medically indicated, you say you want antibiotics for that dot on your head. And I'm going to be like, that's not what antibiotics are for. Like, you know, I waited two hours to see you. <laughs> you can't even like, you know, it's, it's kind of like then you, you want to you satisfy yeah. your patient as if they were a customer. But that's not the relationship you have. You're a steward of medicine. You have to practice good medicine. And oftentimes, that's like kicking the patient when they're down. You're not getting what you want, even after I've wasted two hours of your time. There's a lot of pressure like that. And How does that feel as a doctor? Where you're, uh, I think it's safe to say almost all doctors, if not all of them, went into the profession to help people. But you're now 
you're at the spot where you're seen as a villain almost. First of all, in that scenario, you're making someone wait and then you're not able to, if you want to view it almost like a business, you're not providing any customer satisfaction, but you're doing what you were taught was right. And it is right, like scientifically and medically, right? Mm -hmm. Can you describe Mm -hmm. what that feels like? It feels terrible. You feel jaded. You feel cynical because then they go on to the the reviews, right? They're like, this doctor doesn't know anything. They, you can imagine it, right? Like yeah. just, you're trying to do some good, but you just get a giant turd on your head. <laughs> yeah, it's very demotivating, and I don't I don't know what the solution is, but maybe we can just, return to. Because I want to look at it from two perspectives in the scenario you described, where mm. you described how a clinic is run, what the overhead costs are, and some of the doctor's motivations and how they plan their day. Mm. So my first question, I have a couple. One perspective is from the perspective of the patient. The patient's, oh, why don't you just schedule less then? Why do I need to wait two hours? That's mean, that means you're five or ten minutes over everyone. Can't you realize that by now? What kind of doctor are you? Those are thoughts that... The retail patients or whatever you want to call them, they come in and they have those feelings because I've certainly felt that frustration before when I didn't yeah. know anything about healthcare. Yeah, yeah. So what do you say to something like that? Obviously, you got to be empathetic to the patients because I obviously like in the beginning, I was just like, why is everyone spitting on me? <laughs> but then I think with time and with experience, you start to see more from I a little bit more like empathy. Yeah. So you explain to them, but it's a mixed bag. Some people are very understanding, like the the angel patients. But then you get like the uh, really grumpy people, and you can yeah. do so much, Unsatisfied. man. Yeah. How, how about the question of why are you booking so much then? If this is a repeated mistake, why don't you book less? If a patient asked me that. I'm thinking in their perspective right now. Let's say you have... Oh, yeah. It's, it's all to do with the costs of, of running a clinic. And family doctors recently got a big raise in BC. But before, the amount of money was not enough. If you don't see a certain number of patients a day, you're making significant less money than your colleagues in doing any other field. In, in medicine, medicine, you mean? Yeah, yeah. I, I know some really good family doctors that money was never a, it wasn't like a big driver for them and they would spend a lot of time with their patients. But then I guess you, from a utility perspective, then instead of a day, you're instead of dealing with 40 problems, you're only dealing with 20 problems. So those people just have, they get more time with you, but then it would take longer for you to get in to see the same doctor then. Yeah, I, it's just like your scheduled day won't be, Next week, it'll be the week after if you, yeah. let's say you're having it, right? I guess the other perspective is if you feel incentives drive the world, it's almost inevitable that you feel, as a professional and a doctor, you almost feel like I need to squeeze every amount of patient care I can out of a single day. And so you keep making that mistake and you're incentivized by money, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Isn't that model destructive at the end? Because n- now you're, you're using the whip of money to drive the doctor. And I think at the end of the day, they need to get paid too, right? I don't know if you can speak to that kind of inner conflict where maybe, uh, I don't know what kind of numbers you want to use here. Instead of taking home $100 a year, I'd be taking home 200 if I just saw two times more patients. 
but I don't yeah, know. I, I think I think it's important to find a balance. What I mean is you can see more patients make more money, but you're going to burn out. Is is that part of the burnout there? For me? Yeah. I don't even do that anymore. Because you mentioned you were burning out. Oh, no, I wasn't doing high numbers. I wasn't trying to do that. I was just trying to get through my day, man, to be honest. <laughs> like, I wasn't that, the money wasn't really driving me to see more patients there. Was it the feeling of helplessness that you felt like you weren't actually making a difference? Part of it. So it's like, it's, you're the first line, right? It's yeah. You walk inside shopping mall, anyone can come in and say whatever. There's no screening whatsoever. You're like, yeah. <laughs> you're the screener, right? Yeah. So yeah. there are some pretty outrageous things that happen and you have to deal with and you really, you really makes you question yourself right i, I guess i think it's more of a shock with training because everything that i hear i've just been marinating in the information say what <laughs> it seems like i've just been like soaking in all the, yeah. the information right yeah. now it sounds like it's like the friction it sounds like it's very much a business problem and you went yeah. to school to study medicine and be very technical oh yeah yeah for sure it's well, almost I mean, like they they dump you in a situation where it's yeah you gotta be the ceo you gotta pay for your staff you gotta get them benefit yeah. you gotta do customer service yeah. scheduling problem you don't know how to schedule tough luck you gotta make it work yeah. it seems like there's a lot and plus if you're a new doctor mm -hmm. i'm sure it's, you, you just don't have a lot of experience you're still learning at that point too right yeah, there's a lot of non-medical stuff that you got to deal with in, in the clinic. And compared to a hospital, you're not supported. You're, there's other doctors in the clinic, but say in the hospital, there's you know, physio is there, occupational therapy is there. You got home health supports. You got speech language pathology. Everybody is at your fingertips to, to help you and support you in, in treating something. You could have a patient come in and they could have something really serious and obviously it'll take more than 15 minutes, but then you're calling the ambulance, you're, you're doing all this stuff, you're organizing stuff that it's hard to organize like when you're in, a, in an office setting, right? Mm -hmm. So whatever comes your way, it could be like first person comes in, just wants to argue with you about vaccines and the next person's a heart attack. So you get, you get the extremes, anything can come your way. It just sounds like it's grinding you down. These things that I don't want to say that you studied for things that were either maybe more black and white textbook answers. And mm -hmm. you're getting, you're now facing a problem where you have to explain to someone that their perspective may not be correct. And so it's more of a, it's almost like a reverse salesman problem or something where you, you have to convince someone that hey you're actually okay we don't yeah. need to do all these yeah. things for you but then they yeah. demand it and then you cannot disprove them is that sound accurate to that's a big part of the job the alluded to the over prescription of medications there's also the over ordering of tests and it can become a pretty adversarial environment when you know, patient comes in, they've read something on the internet or read it, I don't know. They want these tests, but they're not medically indicated, right? Yeah. And then they've waited two hours to see you. And they, yeah, okay. I'm just going to kick them out the door. A lot of this type of interaction comes up. And it's not, so I was talking about job satisfaction. It's just like not what I want to do. I don't want to be spending my day arguing with people. I don't want to. That's the key then. Yeah. 
Um, Sorry, go ahead. And then like also on the other extreme, like convincing someone that they have a problem when they don't think they have a problem. So yeah, I think it's just the, the patient demographic is different than to compare to the hospital where the patient has already been deemed too sick to go home at the very minimum they have a real medical problem that can be treated, diagnosed. Yeah, when someone has to screen that before it gets... Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that would be the the emergency doctors will will do that. Um, If there was, like, I don't know, I'm not claiming about a solution to all this, but let's say if you wanted to practice family medicine, let's say Uh the government opened, I don't know, instead of, like, a doctor office where that doctor has to be the boss of that, the owner, manage the business and do the diagnosis all in one. Yeah. Let's say they had a medical clinic, you work with a team, there are screeners so people can show up if they want some tests that's not, that's yeah. not medically yeah. sound. They just gently punt them out the door. Mm-hmm. Would that make things better? At least for if you were to go back to say that, that family medicine area again. That's a really good question. And I would not go back. Okay. Oh, why? What's the reason? Because like now, because I, I hear the friction is more like yeah. it's dealing with kind of like the, let's call it the, the politics of medicine. Yeah. But if we, no, if we remove that, okay, why like, not? Like, yeah, say all the logistical stuff is gone. Yeah. I, I think there is like a, a thrill or the dopamine, whatever you want to call it, of that I enjoy like managing unstable patients. There's a lot of satisfaction in diagnosing that, you know, no one else could diagnose or coming up with a plan and seeing your plan through. Because the way that our, our work is structured in the hospital is that you basically follow the, the patient from start to finish. At least you get the whole week, seven days with them. And that's often enough time to enough time to fix a problem. So you get that job satisfaction, right? You get the satisfaction of knowing you fix someone, whether it's a simple problem or not. So that's a big thing for me. It's just more challenge. It's like a challenging environment, right? Where Mm -hmm. the odds are that it's going to be a challenge. Whereas even if you stripped away all the logistical and political or whatever you want to call it, problems of family med, the solution is still quite scripted. Is that correct? You still, here's your metformin, go home kind of thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of, you don't really get the pleasure of diagnosing a, like an acute problem. Like either they'll get sick enough and they'll go to the hospital or you tell them to do blood work and nothing really happens. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. It's a, a lot of patients, they don't follow through with, with tests and treatment plans. Shout out to the patients that, that do, but... Patient adherence. Patient <laughs> adherence, exactly. Patient non-compliance. <laughs> Yeah. So in the hospital, you got nurses feeding the patients their pills. Everything that what you've ordered, they're getting. So it's like an experiment. There's like a direct result of, of what, what, what you're doing, and you can see it. Um, it's a real-time strategy versus turn-based strategy. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the, the turns are like all the years and months. Yeah. This is a good analogy, actually. Yeah, yeah it is. It's a good one. Um, but also, one thing I like about... Hospital is this very, there's a lot more learning to be done as well. You get access to specialists and subspecialists, and you can run very specific scenarios by them and you'll get an answer. So 
I think that's really important too in in the longevity of your career is you gotta like you can't be you you want to get burnt out by doing the same thing over and over again you want to you know it has to be challenging always stimulating and I think that's helped me a lot but yes so uh-huh. I just want to to touch up a little bit on family medicine here I think in the interest of time I want to ask more about your feelings with this transition. I want to ask when you made that decision to go from family med to hospitalist, how difficult was that for you? And what kind of thoughts did you have in your head? And maybe describe some of the feelings you had as well. Leap of faith, man. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, it, it, it worked out for me like pretty like luckily, I guess. Um, I became a hospitalist when I moved to Toronto because my wife was there for, she moved, we moved together there for her career. And I guess at that point, I just had nothing to lose. I was unhappy with my job that, yeah. The biggest thing about going from, I think going from clinic-based medicine to hospital-based medicine is there's a lot of intimidation. There's a lot of acuity, right? Then you, you can patients that are sick and if you do the wrong thing they could have really bad outcomes so i think personally that was a really big it's like intimidating to get into that and um but i was willing to put in the time to learn to to be mentored and what and i was very lucky to find a hospital and some mentors there that kind of just took me in and i worked hard i worked a lot of hours and made a lot of mistakes <laughs> didn't kill anybody you make mistakes you gotta look like a fool sometimes ask questions and kind of just be open to that and did it remind you a lot about being a student again did you oh did yeah you summon a lot of those feelings uh, oh i was totally a student yeah i was it was hard it was really hard and it took me almost the full two years i was there to become comfortable at the end to to be independent in, in working as a hospitalist. But yeah, there were a lot of times I had to ask questions and just admit that I don't know the answer. And it's kind of like being a student. So is it a lot easier than I am thinking right now for someone like, let's say there is a family doctor listening to this right now, and they're inspired by your story, and they want to move into the hospital setting? Is it pretty seamless? Is it pretty accepting? Or is it? Are there is there a lot more friction than being able to move mm. to Toronto? <laughs> from Vancouver and pretend you're starting anew again? It's a good question. I mean, now it's a tricky time now that you're asking the question when there is a province-wide shortage of hospitalists, which was certainly not the case when I moved back here and applied. Interesting. Like, is there a shortage of family doctors too? So it's just a shortage of everything? This, so it's complicated, but because of this big pay raise to family doctors, a lot of the the hospitalists have taken on more work back in the clinic because there's a now there's a financial sort of component. Uh, okay. The same pool of doctors, but some have flocked back to that because now there's a more of an incentive to do family medicine. And the good thing about family medicine is you don't do weekends, you don't do nights. So that's that explains part of the shortage. But that's your... Sorry, Sorry, just to really interrupt. There's one thing with the raise in the family medicine billing structure you mentioned, and I heard 
someone told me that now there is an incentive and you are paid to spend more time with patients. Is that true? Or is that sort of like only partially true? No, I think that's only partially true. I don't know all the details, but you're basically getting a base hourly rate plus um, more money. Like there's still a fee for service component. Yeah. Okay. Is it a smaller component than before? Is that what it is then? Or how does that work? Mm, I'm not sure, but it okay. basically, you can also, I think you can also bill for non-clinical work. Like say you're doing paperwork or charting. I think you can also bill like the hourly rate or something. So why is it still so hard for Vancouver Wright to find a family doctor? This is quite recent. So I think there should be more... I think it should be easier, but it's still too early to tell. Interesting. So the same pool has made it. The hospitalists are short now. <laughs> kind of, yeah. I mean, that's probably oversimplifying the problem, but like, I don't know what uh, the new grads are doing you know, these days, but the, the idea for this new payment plan is to attract more new grads to do traditional clinic-based family medicine. Okay, so just moving on from medicine in the interest of time, I wanted to talk a little bit we we spoke earlier about productivity and time management and stuff i wanted to drill a little bit deeper into that because i know you and you've made a lot of progress with that starting with anxiety let's say what can you give a little bit of an overview of the types of struggles you face with anxiety for i guess from early adulthood all the way to now maybe or earlier if you want i don't think i've really Okay, I think the anxiety really came on in the last five to ten years. How I know I have it, it's weird because I only get it when I wake up. And that's probably common for a lot of people. But Oh, interesting. It's my heart's racing. And I, I wake up before my alarm. And it's I guess it's in anticipation of work. So I think I talked about that earlier, but... Just the unpredictable nature of work and not really knowing what you're what you're walking into is how I've best uh, you feel like a lack of control yeah part of it yes okay and then I read this book okay so, <laughs> so I don't know if you guys are familiar with Buddhism okay yeah let's go into it but it was something like the four noble truths of life so I remember the first two because second, they don't, they're not really applicable, but basically it's saying that life is suffering and the suffering. So that's first point. Second point is suffering comes from trying to control the uncontrollable and predict oh. the unpredictable. Okay. I read that. I was like, yeah, that's a pretty good explanation of why I think I have my anxiety. Were those the, what were those, chapter titles? Or were they like the oh, themes? No, no. Like, it's like, there weren't chapter titles. They were like the, the, the commandments, I think, okay. is one way to think about it. Yeah. Before you get into the tactics, can you describe a little bit more about, you mentioned you knew you had it when, but yeah. also how does it affect you in your day-to-day? -day? What happens if you don't control it? Okay, it disturbs my sleep, number one, because I can't get my full... I can't, I can't sleep to my alarm because I wake up before my alarm. 
And I'm sure it disrupts my sleep architecture. The quality of my sleep, I think it probably affects that too. You notice you feel significantly more tired when that happens throughout the day than usual? Yeah, it's more like I, I notice... Let's just put it this way. I notice when I have a good night's sleep more than I'm... Because I guess I think I'm just used to not having super high quality sleep. So when I, like, on the weekends, for example, when I'm not going to work, I'll still wake up around the same time, but I'm not woken up by a racing heart. Boy. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't happen every day, but like on, on weeks where I know I have like sick patients, I have no idea what I'm doing for, it's, I'm back. It's like this problem that you're going to have for the entire week. Um, does it until bleed you... into your, does it, sorry, does it bleed into your day-to-day -day as well, other than no, work? It actually doesn't. I feel like after I wake up, the, the, the second I get up, I'm like, I'm going. You know? Okay. And I don't really feel the anxiety as much. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, it's weird. I explain it. It's just no. It's uh, it's very personal because for me, just describing my anxiety before, it was always night. It was never morning. I oh, always yeah. felt good in the morning. So it's interesting. You think that that's commonly felt, but I was the same way. I'm always anxious before I sleep. Yeah, really. Into the next day. Yeah, like before I think... when I was really sucked into work, my anxiety would just kick in the weekend, and I just like, yeah. You just, you know, you just work really hard during weekdays. And then I, it felt like I never had a weekend anymore because I was so anxious. Mm. And then by the time I'm like, okay, I'm feeling a little bit better. It's, oh shit, it's Monday or in. And then it's like a full cycle again. Oh man, that sounds bad. Um, or like the Sunday night dread, right? I'm sure you can relate to that. Dan, oh even man, a bit. The, the dread. Yes, for sure. <laughs> like you only got one day of a weekend left kind of thing. It's interesting, yeah. So a couple points is... I think the reason that I can actually fall asleep is because I'm so exhausted. Okay. So that is probably what helps me go to sleep. Yeah, seriously, I get knocked out in less than a minute. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> I believe I it. never have problems falling asleep. Never. Well, um, even when I knew you and you were, we were students, you never really did. That's, yeah. That's another thing. Instant, man. Yeah. I don't even know if that's good. That's good for me because that just means I'm fighting off sleep until the very last second and I just get the school lights out. So sometimes I've mentioned this to Alyssa before, but the, 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 on the topic of Sunday dread, sometimes I feel it's not really the dread of Monday as much as it is the ending of a really awesome weekend where yeah. you just you get, you know, it's free time for you right you get to do whatever you want non-work-related stuff and that's like a realization that i've been making slowly it's actually no it's not even like that i don't want to go to work as much as i'm mourning the loss of my awesome weekend where i had like time to do whatever the hell i wanted to do what do you think that's what do you think is the rationale for that did you always have that sort of mourning Okay, the rationale is, I think we're, we're so all in and we're at work, we neglect our own personal needs. Okay. Okay. And that can be anything. For example, I mean, you know, everyone has hobbies, right? You want to do, do stuff that you enjoy. And I enjoy my work, but it's not my passion. I don't yeah. wake up hungry to get in and see patients, right? Just I'm very grateful <laughs> for the job that I have, 
But at the end of the day, I'm looking forward to the end of the day so that I can come home and hang out with the dog and pursue my own interests. So I think, I think it all ties in together with it's the weekend. You got 48 hours, go do everything. And then you do so much that you're like, you become a machine as, as Alyssa calls me to do. <laughs> you just become very robotic and you don't even enjoy what you're doing anymore. Which is, I don't know, man, it's getting too meta. Do, no, do, you, no, think no, now that, do you think this is, there's all those studies, I think in, was it, I think it was Japan. They did this with tech where it was like the four day work week was the thing where they didn't cut down on the hours. They made it two hours longer on each day, mm -hmm. but people were more satisfied with their job and their I'd life be in general just because you just yeah. had, yes, you're working longer, but you just had more personal time in general. I, I don't know. Actually, too. Yeah. Because by the end of the day, or by the end of nine hours, or whatever, I'm pretty dead. You wanted me to do two more hours? I don't know, man. I think that, that, like, that I would try it. Like the capitalistic perspective where you measure productivity by hours worked, right? So mm -hmm. there's that. I think there's that viewpoint. I think the European viewpoint is four day work week, but same hours. Like you just do. So effectively, you're working less hours, but you're just working four days, right? Compared to mm -hmm. the five day work week. So there's it's there's funny. philosophies, right? <laughs> yeah. It's so funny you mentioned that because when I was younger, I was always at the mindset that three or four day work weeks are better if it's had the same amount of hours. But just when I was working, when I was roaming the province as a floater pharmacist, I remember I used to get some shifts that made it so that there were 13 hour days and I would get three days on. But holy cow, man, those days were so taxing that you'd probably spend the one of your days off just recovering yeah so that's it, true and that yeah. was me at that age so i wonder how i'd feel now i think there is a sweet spot though and i think it depends on your type of work matthew you, you like if you think about tech a couple hours a day actually might be beneficial because if you're in the middle of a problem you're going to want to finish thinking about it but if you're like dan right here and, yeah. and you're just like you've seen i don't know how many do you see each day let's say 20 people or something yeah. and then you need to see five more. It's holy cow. Do I have enough gas in a tank to critically think? I don't yeah, know. It's hard to say. Yeah. yeah. And it might not it's, be safe either if you're. You know. It's so interesting though. I think because that's like, yeah. to like the, I guess, how you will implementation detail, right? It sounds like medicine right now is prioritizing quantity over quality. Where I think is you, you <laughs> probably want it the other way around. You want quality, but you probably just want to pump the system with more. I guess, doctors, so you're scaling well. Like, you want scalability instead of just being like, oh, we have five doctors, we'll bleed them dry. <laughs> yeah. And this is what's going on, right? It's this is kind of like my take on what I'm hearing right now. I love this because me, Matthew, I come into it from a healthcare perspective, but I have a tech background now. So every time I think about how the systems of healthcare are so unoptimized, and this yeah. is exactly the kind of stuff I'm thinking. Like, all I'm just saying is, if if AI gets really good, it'll be Jeff Bezos would just scale. Mm -hmm. Everybody, doctor has the EC2 instance, and be over. <laughs> I was like, I was when I was having a debate with Dan one day. I said, what would happen if the patient could just walk through the tube and they would get diagnosed and you got the recommendations at the end of the tube? There's a big chunk of work done there already. You you know exactly what labs to order and what they have, and you don't have yeah. to do it. you don't have to wait or anything, but. Yeah, 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 that's getting really derailed. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, okay, let's go back to the topic of 
anxiety and the whole your weekend needs to be made use of let's say mm -hmm. where your mm -hmm. wife is telling you you're almost like a robot because you need to squeeze in every single minute of enjoyment you can <laughs> like a video game almost in that 48 hour period so what are some of the first of all can you describe what that feels like do you are you even aware of it in the moment when you're like that feels awesome man oh it feels good <laughs> <laughs> and what, why is it why does it feel good because productivity feels good it's undeniable okay you okay. feel good when you get things done but obviously okay. there's a, a balance to be struck there and, and i'm not saying 48 hours i'm not just like like part of my enjoyment is doing slower things like going on a walk with 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 the duff man yeah i'm not just walk five writing a paper for 48 hours you know, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying my time off by doing slower things too, working in the garden or cooking food and stuff like that. Sorry, what was the question? How do I feel about... Yeah, how does it, how does it feel? You, you basically said it feels good when you're in robot mode then for the yeah, 40 like hours. I mean, end. <laughs> is that what it, it is? Or? It does feel good. No, it, it feels good for sure because you, there's like a certain amount of feeling accomplished and like you've done... There's tangible things you've done you've something to hang your hat on so to speak um even if it's i've done meal prep it's sad that it all relates back to work but i've you know meal prep for the next week of work you know i don't have to worry about my meals i can go to my freezer pick up a thingy and pop it in the microwave um it's tangible or it's i've done this home reno thing that i've wanted to do and it makes me feel like there is some progression as opposed to, let's just say, Monday to Friday, you're going to work. In a way, to me, sometimes I, I think of it like I'm, I'm treading water. Yeah. I've used like 99% of my energy at work. And what's left over, the 1%, is for me to do my own personal stuff. And I haven't really... Going in the tank, and it's really easy to, I think, help people like work for years and years, and they don't even know. Yeah. They don't realize it because <laughs> your routine is that you're just you're committing all your time and energy to work, and it's easy to lose sight of your own sort of goals and your own individuality, like your hobbies and stuff like that. I think you're appealing to a very like. The way that you describe your satisfaction on these 48-hour weekend periods, let's say, yeah. it appeals to a type of person that loves and embraces doing stuff all the time. Yeah. So my question to you is, what if you, for the 48 hours, you're just on the beach reading a book? Does that sound like a waste of time to you? In theory, okay, so to answer your question, like, at face value, I hate the beach. I don't okay. hate the beach, but I, that's the last place I would go if okay. I had free time. Okay. okay. I don't do well in the heat. I get sunburned, <laughs> and I, I can't read anything on the beach because it's too bright. Okay. Let's say a park or something, then. A nice walnut oak desk. Yeah. <laughs> All the nice home goods. You got your yeah. ace top soap on the side. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. So to use an example, I you know I I think there there is a lot of enjoyment in the slower things as well. 
So it's not always, I was talking about things that you can measure and stuff like that, but it, that it is a little bit harder for me to assign value to things that are intangible. But for example, I was just with my parents and my wife and her mom in, in Tofino, and that was like a very slow pace. There was actually a beach, <laughs> didn't do any reading on it, but that was a very slow pace getaway. And I, I really enjoyed that. But and not your not... preference? In huh? terms of, but not your preference in terms of if you had an ideal. No, I think no. I despite everything that I've said, I think stuff like that is really important. You got to slow down too. You, okay, you, you're, uh, you're just answering what I want to hear though. But what oh, no, 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 no. do you feel though? Yeah, I like from the bottom of my heart. I I think it's important. I I'll admit that it, I have to convince myself internally, but I. In, in my heart of hearts, I know that you, you need that kind of stuff. I, we live in a very fast-paced world, as I'm sure. You, you got to slow down. Like it's just, it, it sounds like I'm just I'm backtracking, but no, you, you do. It's important. It's a balance. Interesting. Um, yeah. It sounds like work week, you just do work things, but your personal life, you have your hit list, right? So a fulfilling weekend for you is <laughs> being productive that moves the needle for your personal life yes, while minimizing you your... the needle, that's exactly. <laughs> right? I guess what's the difference is like watering your plants or doing gardening versus watching TV all day. Yeah, yeah I don't know. I have a story on how I got, I'm really big into plants. Like my room, you can't see it all, but I have, I don't know, what is this? Like nine plants in my room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's just my room. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I enjoy my week. That's like personal work. I'd water it. I take care of it. That yes. moves the needle. But at the end of the day, for me, is it more worthwhile time than watching TV? Maybe, but that's because I've deemed that, hey, I, if I want to continue my, my place to look good, I've got to keep the plants alive. <laughs> if I didn't yeah. have the plants, I would say watching TV for eight hours a day is perfectly fine because I just get to unwind. So I don't know if you think yeah. the same way or you have some ranking system. <laughs> I, I don't know. I guess everyone has the things that, they, that they've been putting off and... I think that kind of stuff really puts a lot of like guilt on 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 myself, and I I think getting stuff done makes me feel good. Oh, it's hard to explain. Oh, it, um, yeah, that makes sense. I I resonate with that. Yeah. So if you, if you spend a weekend binging a TV show, can you describe how you feel after that? As you, let's say like it's let's say you're going to work Monday and it's Sunday night, and if you spent Saturday the whole day and Sunday morning and afternoon binging on a tv series how do you feel that night i've never done that before the only time i've ever binged anything was like when i was like really sick and i couldn't like move okay but i guess that kind of answers the question oh, I like a just video game or something that's not oh man like, productive asking the good questions so when i was sick last week with covid and I think I mentioned this to you before but I had the opportunity to live what I thought was the dream of playing a video game for basically unlimited hours as long as I won because I had the day off work and stuff and yeah it actually didn't feel that good what did it feel like past a certain point maybe three or four hours I was like what am I doing first of all the needle's not moving <laughs> and I'm probably taking away time that I could probably be like sleeping and getting healthier faster so it was a weird feeling because every time I'm playing 
playing Poe for an hour or whatever. I'm like, man, I wish I had like unlimited hours. But when I had unlimited hours, I was like, this is too much. Maybe it's also because I'm older and staring at a screen for that many hours is doesn't make me feel good. Just so, straining your eyes, yeah. Straining your eyes, whatever. So it's weird. I I don't know. Were you like guilt tripping yourself? Is that what happened? I think part. I think for sure there's some of that. Um, but you're probably not enjoying this medium in the most ideal conditions, right? So sure. it probably affects some part of that, right? But I think what it. I think the, the deepest layer is that because time is so scarce, you don't want to waste it. Yeah. And there's always feels like there's so much you could be doing with your time that you don't want to squander it. So that was going to be the next topic I wanted to get into because yeah. I think, first of all, I, let me think about this. Why don't we, why don't we tackle that topic, time? So mm -hmm. I know for you, and I think this resonates with me. Yeah. The reason I didn't want to say anything and butt in for the productivity stuff is because I think for some listeners, they might view that as, oh, there's something like this guy doesn't know how to enjoy life. Yes. But one of the reasons I always ask people fulfillment is because they get fulfilled by doing some things that are like part of their hobby. Like you always mention slow things, but Matthew mentioned and you mentioned watering plants and caring for flowers and plants and stuff. That's actually quite fulfilling, right? Like you feel it feels not just productive, but it feels good and yes. it's almost hard to describe yes i think i wanted to give you credit there that you found that you were able to do that and you're not tempted to just watch tv whereas there's nothing wrong with watching a tv series i still do that oh, i love that oh no, yeah love i love that but it sometimes yeah. is the, the feeling you described after the four hours of a video game yes. there's no fulfillment in that that feeling is quite empty like you've tricked your mind to feeling good but then there's nothing to show for it I don't know if that that's makes good, sense. Yeah, that's, that's a really good statement there. There's nothing to show for it. Okay? <laughs> and no, I, I do know how to enjoy life to all the listeners out there. Um, <laughs> it's just, I'm just trying to imagine myself listening to you. Yes, it's like yes. you're pricked up all the time. But I'm well, just... it's different because you know me. But yeah, yeah to someone else, yeah. It's... So no, I'm not. It's There's probably a better way to say it. But it's just like the guilt, I think, is real. I'd rather, instead of binge-watching a TV series, I, I would spread it out over a long period of time. So it's like more, kind of like something to look forward to uh, after okay. a day at work. Like a, it's like a finite resource that you want to... Like a reward? Like a reward, yeah. yeah. Delay gratification. Wow. Master, how to... Dr. Wong, please teach us. Yes, please yes, teach us how, yeah. how to use delayed gratification. No, I've, I've definitely binged TV shows before, but whether I whether I like it or not, I, I feel guilty about it. Okay. No, that's fair. Yeah. I think I do too when that happens. And now you're stuck in a dead zone, right? You, you're not enjoying the show. And you're not yeah. doing it. You're just feeling guilty yeah. after doing it. That's an interesting. Yeah. That's an interesting thing we could dive into if we want. Mm -hmm. But but again, I do. This was all. It's also related because the topic of time. And now I'm being selfish. Is very important to me, because, maybe because I know you too, and Matthew is also knows me. But that topic of time and death, mm -hmm. right? You're faced with a lot of situations in your day to day now where. You see life sometimes 
extinguish, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I wanted to ask how big of a factor did that play into your, your realization of time as a scarce commodity? Yes, that is almost a leading question, but I'll answer it anyways. Yes, so it's definitely had a huge impact on me. I can I, just from work, I can see how, you know, tragic some scenarios are, right? Patients who are not much older than us have these life-altering diagnoses, life-limiting diagnoses. And every day I'm reminded of, of how, how fragile life is. Yeah, like that probably shapes a lot of my thinking too. Was that happening only once you start working in the hospital or did that happen sometimes in, in family med and even in your earlier life? No, you definitely see more of it firsthand in the hospital. I see people pass on very commonly and see people at the end of their lives very commonly. And yeah, I think that's, that's really important. It's, it's, it's a perspective that not everybody gets. Um, for better or for worse, yeah, it's, it's made me realize how important time as a commodity is. So having said that, briefly tying it back to anxiety now, does that mm -hmm. ever play into your anxiety that you're just not, you find this scarce resource that's so important to you and you're just not min-maxing this resource as much as you can and optimize? Yeah, that's, a, that's such a, I think that's a really complicated like topic. Obviously realize that you can't just it's not just about getting things done, but it's also you gotta enjoy what you're doing. Yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's a hard topic. It's hard to answer, man. I think it is. Um, yeah, you gotta keep. You can't lose sight of the. What's the saying? You can't lose sight of the tree. You can't look at the forest and lose sight of the tree or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's for the trees. Yeah. Yeah. I think, that's, I think yes. that's the one or something like that. Oh. I think I've said a lot of contradicting statements, but no, not really. Yeah. It's really important, at least to, when you're you know, at our, I think, our age, you're like, we're all working and really into our careers. It's really easy to lose track of time that way, I think, because you're, you're fully committed. And it's really easy to forget that you've got other things going on in your life, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm what you're saying is it's, it's all about balance, right? Well, balance? It, it, it's, it's not, it's, I don't hear you saying... Reading a book on the beach, I know you hate beaches, <laughs> is a waste of time. It's read your book for a few hours on the beach, feel rest and relaxation so you can tackle, let's say, your personal <laughs> growth or desire. So you have the energy really to do that. Because I think it's like everyone gets into the trap of you're working on your workday, you're done your long shift. Yeah. Are you going to, I don't know, propagate your plants right now probably not you just want to just mind because you just have no energy to do that right so i just hear yeah. it's just balance you balance that get your energy back tackle that so you can at least seek fulfillment there yeah like what what i hate about work and not my job specifically but if you go all in and your work day you come home and you're completely exhausted and you then, know, you... then you're basically just trying to recover so that you go back to that same thing the next day yeah that's how i feel sometimes at least i i think you're speaking on behalf of the majority of the workforce when you're working that salary job and you've realized that this is what your life has become right yeah. you don't have energy to 
let's say you had kids, like you don't even have energy to play with your kids. And then you start realizing how detrimental that is to miss out on that time. And then that cascades. And then you start questioning, why am I doing this? Right. And then you start seeing patients dying left and right at work. And you're like, oh my God, I might be there soon. And then all of a sudden you're extrapolating yourself to your 40s and 50s and 60s. And you're like, oh my God, I don't want to die like that. So I think it's a common problem, actually, that you've just said out loud and articulated. That's a good good TLDR. Yes, for sure. So I talk about moving the needle a lot, but you know what you're saying is actually more more applicable. I think for for a majority of of, of the the listeners, I think, who have kids. It's still applicable, moving the needle. Yeah, but you know, I don't have kids right now, but obviously that's going to become the main thing. If I do have kids, then you come home, I'm like a corpse. And I don't even have time or energy to enjoy with my kids. Like, that's like the worst case scenario. You can do a fish flopping game where you (laughs) pretend you're a fish on the floor and you don't have energy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. I remember there's this one one It's good for, like, I don't have kids as well, but it was just like, if I do, it's just, hey, your job's not going to remember that day that you did a long overtime, but your kids Mm -hmm. will. Oh, <laughs> damn. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, oh, it is true, right? I mean, yeah. it's, <sighs> it all comes back to that balance at the end of the day. But that's easier said than done. For sure. Yeah. I cut yeah. some onions here, man. <laughs> we'll go with the classical closing question here. And oh, we shit, always, more. Okay. We yeah. always ask every guest, Would you rather? Would you rather? Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's the definition of fulfillment. What is your personal definition of fulfillment? And maybe even since we talked about it a bit, like how do you find it? Damn, that's a hard one. How do I find fulfillment? We're putting me on the spot here, man. Um, Boss fight. I'm trying to think of when I felt fulfilled. Lost. Okay, so I think we talked a lot about the balance. I think I, I feel personally fulfilled when I've achieved that balance. So I have done, I've fulfilled my professional duties. I've had an awesome day at work. I've really challenged myself, made a good, made a few good diagnostic calls. I feel good about myself at work, but at the same time, I haven't completely burnt myself out and I can have that personal time, which I think has come up a lot this pod, doing whatever things that I enjoy, whether that's cooking, gardening, hanging out with dog, playing Poe, <laughs> achieving that balance so that I, I feel like I haven't just completely submitted myself, submitted the whole day to work. That's how I feel fulfilled on a, on a day-to-day basis. And yeah. Keep it that. That's it's a nice, unique answer. Again, I'm I'm actually amazed. Every guest has managed to come up with very profound, different answers. So, yeah, thanks yeah, so much yeah. for that, Dan. Yeah, and we'll call it there. Thanks so much for coming on the pod, Dan. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks again. <laughs> what was the outro you guys playing? That was it. NHL. Oh, I'm still in the NHL train. Yeah. It's like only like, like EA NHL we're talking about, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, I keep on hearing, what is it? A little scuff NHL? Or scuff NHL. Yeah. <laughs> NHL is so fun. Holy cow. That's a shout out to GB right there. That game is amazing. It's so fun. You guys should try it. It's, it's 
easy to get into too. So it's actually well, called Scuff NHL. It's called Tape to Tape. <laughs> okay. Tape. I, th- <laughs> I think it's a couple of devs from Quebec. Okay. okay, so it's it's legit Canadian. What's good about it? Is it like QWOP, but like hockey? No, it's not. <laughs> the physics is not like QWOP. It's like a legit... <laughs> it's got legit like hockey physics, and it's just yeah. like arcade style. So you only know, need to know a few buttons, and you just get into it. And, and it's two-on-two? No man, it's full blown five on five. There's like power ups and moves and shit. Like it's fun. PvP. We play on the same team. That's what makes it fun. And we do that. It's a roguelite. It's classified as a roguelite game. How is that a roguelite? So you start every run. You have one hero that you can buff after every run, and you can oh. you can choose a sidekick, and it randomizes which sidekick you can pick out. You pick one of three, and then you pick a skill every time you finish a level. And then it loads the map, and you choose your path to the boss. And there's three acts, or three bosses. That's pretty cool. So it's like PVE then? You can be PvP or PVE, yeah. It's a group. We usually do PVE. It's more fun. Do you remember this really old-school game, Mutant League? And it's like hockey, Mutant League football? It was no. basically NHL, but they just made it like you could fight the environment. Oh so there's you get power ups. It kind of reminds me of this. There's two funny stories of this. One, we actually played Mutant League football demo on Steam. It's free, and it was fun when like we did one on one. But when you did four, it was not that fun for some reason. I think you had to buy the full game, and then we did. Uh, I think it was something. Yeah, it might have been like Mutant Hockey or something. But I think that's the one you're referring to, or maybe it's a remake of that. But I remember the old hockey games. We're talking yeah, NES. Newton League, this was must have been yeah, SNES, actually. Like, this is really SNES? old school. Yeah, yeah okay. It, it sounds like they revived it somehow. Might have revived that or tried to copy it. And then there was one on NES that was really fun. And every time, like, you score, you'd hear the same boo sound. Like, oh. Blades of Steel, I think, right? Blades of Steel! Blades of Steel! <laughs> Holy shit. That game was so good. That game was amazing. It's over. So we're too old now. I only know this because my brother was a big hockey. Like, I hate hockey. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're not a sport guy. My, my, my brother was so big into hockey games, so he would just play me and just destroy me in all these games. So it's just ingrained oh, in my memory right now. <laughs> maybe you hate hockey because of that. I think I do, actually. <laughs> That's why you hate hockey. Because, like, every time he needed something, he's like, oh, I'll get you this thing if you beat me in NHL, like, 93 or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's not even fair. He's so much older than you, too. It's like because he, he knew like I didn't know anything about like, the one timers and all that okay. stuff. And the, you know those games are janky. You just do one yeah. timer, it automatically goes in. Right? <laughs> Nothing has changed in that part. Yeah. New game for you is Dan or uh, Poe Dan. Why do you bring up Path of Exile? Because the only reason I have Discord is because of Path of Exile. Um, what makes we such a Path of Exile loyalist? Give us the elevator pitch. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> so okay so drew's played path of exile but matthew do you know what path of exile is i've heard of it i just is it like some type of rpg game that's my extent i would have to guess about it i've never played it oh yeah, wow. no. yeah. It's, a, it's an rpg but i guess it's classified as an arpg what does the a stand for action it's a diablo oh. game Oh, it's like okay. Diablo, yeah. I, I think Path of Exile, it just it, fills a niche, like, a, it has a role in my life, and I, I think I've explained to, to Drew before that it's a game that you can 
pick up and put down pretty easily. Like there's there's very little commitment to it compared to to games where you have to like be part of a team or if you play CS or whatever you you have to play like a certain number of rounds or whatever. But but Path of Exile really is a game where you can do whatever you want for however long you want to do it for. And I guess it works with my schedule number one and it's just a really well-designed game and they have a, a league system so the game is refreshed with new mechanics every four months now it's a nice looking game it's, it's beautifully designed and it's you once explained to me that you really enjoyed the progression of it too right yeah that i think that's, yeah it's it, i think it, it definitely attracts a type of person like um the game is there's a lot of checkpoints in the game so you can play and you can get to the next level or you can unlock this or unlock that completely free to play by the way <laughs> um yeah if you have an addictive personality i guess you can fall into a trap where you're you can play this game people play this game for 10 15 hours a day and it's there's still more to play so i guess you have to watch yourself a little bit there if you're you're like you're an addictive type of person but yeah the game is designed to, to keep you hooked okay um, <laughs> i haven't given it too much thought but luckily i can take myself away from the game and kind of just play it when when i have time yeah i have to get props to you on that because when i joined that one season just to try it out i definitely found myself going back to old habits i definitely fall for that carrot it's like an endless carrot, carrot yeah on the stick yeah. and uh, there's so many checkpoints like you described that dopamine hit over and over again. Every, every single thing they've meticulously crafted, even the animation, when you yeah. go into a pack of mobs and just boom, you're like, oh, my brain yeah. feels nice and fuzzy. such that when you go after that and play another game that isn't like that, your brain doesn't hit as hard anymore. So I think that's the danger for people who really need that instant flashiness. And definitely that community is has a big vibe on that, I think. Okay, yes. So sometimes at the end of a day, you really want to get into a game where I'll take Starfield as an example. And you, you want to go through pages and pages of dialogue. It's really good dialogue, really good story and you know, stuff like that. But it fills that niche where you just your brain, you're already exhausted. All you want to do is enter a map, press one button and see a bunch of stuff explode <laughs> and collect the loot, right? Do you have make an argument that something like cookie click cookie clicker or something like that is fills that niche then? And those cookie idle clicker? games? Cookie clicker, right? Or Matthew, you must know it. Is I thought you were saying like cookie cutter build or something, but no, like, it's like those, those mobile games, those idle games where you just like tap on the screen and it like progresses and you need to let it go and it progresses overnight. Oh, I've never I know I know someone who really into it, but it just seemed to, eh, no, it wasn't my thing. I needed you more. Tap Titans? <laughs> no. There used to be so many ads on Tap Titans. You would just, you basically just keep punching the screen and it would just keep killing mobs and you would keep leveling. So that's basically one button and watch things explode. Well, like, oh, are, I, you, are you just dumbifying Path of Exile though? No, I'm just is saying. It, is it really I, just like one button? No, I'm curious. No, so so Drew, popular Drew can attest to, to this. <laughs> The, the the meme about Path of Exile is Path of Excel because you can't play the game without having 20 other windows open 
and all these third-party apps. I guess that kind of speaks to the community of, of Path of Exile. These people have volunteered, their, these devs have made these programs to help you figure out how to optimize your character, which is super cool. Item filters and all that stuff, right? So I guess part of the satisfaction is you're, you're following these guides or you're not following these guides, but you assemble a character by trading and the economy is a whole other part of the game that's really fascinating too. It's a very but, intricate ARPG that's almost as close, maybe even more intricate than a MMO in some ways, to be yeah. honest. There's so many things you can tune and the fact that they've managed to... Some people, I, I've read a lot of the history and everything. There's some seasons that people were really upset about, but the game was still perfectly fine. It's just... People expect greatness, so if it isn't great, it's a complete failure, which is so much pressure for the devs, and they've managed to... How many seasons is it now, Dan? Oh, dude, I don't know. Like 20? Yeah, it's, it's, it just has been 10 years since the release recently. Oh, wow. Yeah, I don't know when the leaks started or how often the leaks were, but yeah, it's 10 years. 10-year anniversary was like this week, I think. Cheers to them. I didn't realize the game has been out that long. <laughs> I'm surprised, Matthew. This is definitely one of the games that would be up your alley. You loved Diablo before, right? I loved Diablo 2. Yeah. I had to get yes. 3, but I started at launch day, right? And then Auction House killed the game for me, and I just never revisited it after that. It, it, I don't know. Then I just, I guess, work and then time. But then if I wanted to concentrate on one game, it was just like, I'll just stick with FPS. The games might change, but the flicks are the same. <laughs> so This is like what Dan is describing, right? After a day of work, you don't want to think about strategy or, or not. You still need a strategy, but you don't want to immerse yourself in three hours of dialogue just to progress kind of thing. Exactly. Because if I want my FPS like stress, it'd be like definitely the competitive team base. And I think that's more involved, unfortunately, but that's the fun of it. But if you just do deathmatch and you don't care, you're just running, jumping, <laughs> you just want kills, so that's, it's fun. <laughs> yeah. I gotta there's, my a, there's a lot of gambling in Poe as well, so that's another mechanism for feeding dopamine. There's ways to, to gamble your currency and you can double up or, you know, lose it all and people, people like that, so. And can you sell your items for real-world cash? I know lots of big things with games now. Oh, okay. It's in every community. You can get around that. You can, yeah. You can get around that. <laughs> people do. People get called out for it too. It's like people who have these crazy items and they have no idea basic mechanics. And they're like, oh yeah, did you RMT that shit? T, yeah. It's, it's actually... It's actually amazing. That PoE community is top-notch. Everyone is trying to make it a great season too. You can definitely feel everyone wants greatness to happen. Yeah. And so yeah. everyone's engaged in this ever grinding battle to just keep optimizing. It's like an optimizer's dream. Yes, exactly. That's, but exactly. that's the exact trap that I fall for. So I had to cut myself after two weeks of playing because I was just so deep in there. Dan was teasing me I was doing Path of Exile at the university or something. Like I was getting a degree in it. <laughs> There's so much involved. I had to stop myself. I was like, I'm going to lose myself if I keep going. Well, how do they rank the leaderboards then? Is it like PV, like player versus environment that whoever has the most points wins? Or is it, do you just yeah. look at people as you want? There's not a lot of leaderboards. There's, there's this website that will rank your guy by like DPS. Yeah. But no one really cares about that. Like, they know the Path of Exile will host like race events. Racing is yeah. a big thing in oh, PoE. Right. 
try to get through one acts one to five as fast as you can and there's a whole racing meta it's crazy people just they're all streamers of course right so it's their full-time job but there's so many interactions and combinations the way path of exile works like the skills is you have these gems that do a skill but you can link the gems up to six times so you can with all these different support gems so you have thousands if not tens of thousands of skills that you can homebrew if you wanted to so it's a wet dream of a lot of a lot of gaming nerds i just follow a guide and i still have lots of fun but the guide is still it's still complex enough that you it's almost like you need a guide to play poe it's almost impossible not yeah. to yeah if you want to experience the content you have to have a guide so it's really just competing with yourself to see more content yeah, basically, really how I think of it. When GB was asking about Path of Exile, we, and Drew was in it as well, party play isn't, it's not really the game for party play. It's To me, it's like a meditative process. <laughs> yeah. I don't have to talk to anyone. I just go on, click a few buttons, get a, get some of that sweet dopamine, <laughs> and I log off and I go to bed. Blow off some steam. Drop. Yeah. <laughs>